everyone. Uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to talk to different people from interesting backgrounds, uh, get to learn about other cultures in a casual way. Uh, my name is Nosayari and welcome to today's episode. Uh, today I have a friend here, um, Jonathan. We went to school together, although we didn't really get to meet on campus per se, uh, but I reached out to him on social media and he agreed to do this and I really appreciate that. So welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for the invite, and I'm very excited to be here. Gotcha. One thing I want to start off with, and I always like starting off with this, how do I pronounce your last name? Um, my last name in French is pronounced Théodin, but here most people uh, say like uh, Perodin. Yeah, because it's spelled like P-E-R-O-D-I-N. Yeah, yeah. so I, on, the, on the surface, I was about to say Perodin, but obviously there's a Yeah, well, I don't really know, like, originally how it's pronounced because uh, this name seems to have its root from Spain. We've been able to uh, identify some um, relatives in uh, Latin American countries and also from Spain, but we have yet to determine where exactly does it come. But since we're living in a French-speaking country, um, we do like a French pronunciation. Gotcha. Wait, when you say we, like... Did your family like try to like ascertain the origin of your name, or did you like do some research? What do you mean? I mean some research, especially uh, with when Facebook came, mm. we began to get friend requests by several people having the same name, and uh, most of them were living in the United States. A few of them uh, in Cuba and other Latin American countries, and we kind of tried to put a link between these people, but we don't have like a some genealogy study yet, but this is a project that should be, um, that would be exciting to carry on. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, interesting stuff. And Jonathan, uh, just for to let our audiences know, uh, Jonathan is from Haiti. Yes, like Francis. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to be getting into the whole French thing. I have this whole... <laughs> and I just start calling like footballers' names, like French footballers' names. So I'm like, oh, Trezeguet, Thierry Henry, and I try to say it with an accent. But I'm just, I'm just joking around. <laughs> I'm just joking around. So, how was growing up in Haiti exactly? Because when when I think about Haiti, uh, like I kind of like try to like classify like the islands, and it's really tropical and lots of beaches and things like that. But I really want to know how was it like growing up for you specifically. Um. That's an interesting question. I grew up in a rather large family. Um, on my mother's side, uh, there were eight kids. So we've been raised, the, almost the whole family lived in the same block. Uh, when my grandfathers moved to the capital, they acquired this, this piece of land and they built homes for their children. So that's the reason why I grew up um, with all my cousins. And it was... A, it was great when we were kids, mm. um, so there was never like a boring day. Some of us went to school together, and you know, there's, there weren't like, m- much worries like when we were little. Uh, we also grew up in a Christian family, you know, going to church every Sunday. I think from memory, when I started to realize that, you know, all this living and with all the family thing, I started to question this this style of living when I was uh, becoming a teenager because, you know, your interests change, you aspire to 
more freedom and it wasn't obvious because if your parents weren't there, your aunts were watching over you and it started quickly to feel like being in a cage, especially living in a country where things are difficult. You couldn't like be out in the streets when you wanted because of insecurity. So yeah, it's it was interesting. As you said, Haiti is a very beautiful country, tropical weather, sun all year long, and magnificent beaches, as you said. And you don't really have to go far, like from one to two hours by car, you can get to beautiful places. And what I also like about Haiti is that although it's an island, there's lots of mountains and you can actually travel from, really? from the mountains where the weather is cooler to the beach within an hour. So wow. it's, it's a very nice mix. Um, I mean, we, we've been spoiled by nature. Gotcha. Well, that's a good way to be spoiled, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> spoiled by nature. But but let me like kind of like unpack a few things uh, you said in that statement. So you said um, you kind of like grew up in a polygamous home. If I'm... Not polygamous. Okay, no, not no, polygamous. No, no. We were, all my parents were, um, well, polygamy is not legal. I hate it just to begin with. Okay. Um, my mom's brothers and sisters, we lived in the same neighborhood. Oh, okay, gotcha. That's why I said I grew up with, with, with my cousins. Okay. Um, and then also from my father's side, that was also a, a large family. So I had large family on both sides. And uh, I got to like grow up with both of them. And it was a very interesting, different experiences, depending on who you're with. Yeah. But at the same time, Haiti is also, especially in the capital, society is relatively small. So everybody knows everybody. Where, whenever, wherever you go, people ask you, oh, you're day. Are you the son of Michel or are you the son of Gary? Wow. Because, you know, all our parents, they, they literally went to the same schools, to the same universities. Um, so yeah, it's very little world. Everybody knows everybody. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I apologize for making the polygamous or assuming the polygamy. I was just trying to like play out the statement when you said, um, eight kids by your mom. I, I just thought there was a situation there, but not only, so you said, uh, you kind of like started yearning for kind of like your own space, you know, becoming a teenager and things like that. And not only did you live in this really large family, but the town is also small. So did that in any way like inform your decision to like come to the U.S. or travel or that? Yeah, absolutely. Like I wanted to take a break from this, you know, environment and uh, coming here to the U.S. was definitely one of the best moves I could make uh, just to make me realize that I could be responsible for myself and do things on my own. Gotcha. And is that something common? Do people... Um, tend to leave Haiti when they get older, or most people like tend to stay. Um, more, more and more every day, people, especially the younger generations, are trying to move out and find a better life elsewhere because things are so difficult. Like the economy is not doing very well right now. There's virtually no jobs. Even if you're very qualified, it can be very hard to find a, a very uh, secure job. People from like the, the, the schools where I went, uh, most of them left Haiti after high school. So mm. I was oh wow. From this, I went to uh, I went to a Catholic school, and then I switched when I was sixteen. I went to another like private school, and 
after his senior year in high school, I was one of the three only students who stayed in Haiti for college. All the others, they went. Uh, and this is from a population of how many students? Let's say 15. Gotcha. Yeah, we weren't many in this new school. And is Christianity, you mentioned that your family was Christian, you went to a Catholic school. Is Christianity like the uh, major religion in Haiti or like one of uh, it's, it's, many? It's difficult to say which is uh, the most important in terms of um, the number of people. But Catholic Church has been and still remains uh, very powerful, um, even though the principle of the separation of uh, church state and state and church, but in the facts, it's not really what you see. They they have a lot to say in how people should live and what people should do. Um, we've seen a surge of evangelical um, churches uh, these past ten or fifteen years, and also um, the traditional religion, the Voodoo which comes from Africa, is making a search currently. And it's rather refreshing to see, especially younger people trying to go back to their roots mm. um, and find spirituality and their, you know, historic origin instead of going along with whatever the parents or the society wants them to, to be or to be. Gotcha. Okay, let's uh, come back to how exactly you came to the U.S. Uh, when was the first time you came? Uh, did you come for school? What, like, uh, how, how, how that first process time, I, I must have been eight. Uh, we came on vacation. Uh, I also have to mention that I have some relatives living in the United States, uh, some in Florida, some in New York City, and a few other places, and also some in Canada. Most of my relatives that don't live in Haiti are in Canada. So uh, it kind of became a habit for us to, to travel to visit our families outside of the country. That's, I, I, as often as, as we could, maybe once a year or once every two years, we would travel and we would visit and do some tourism. But speaking about my trip, to come study here. It was something that I wanted to do ever since I was in high school. I I, I wanted to study abroad. Um, so then I didn't have the opportunity uh, right after high school. So I did uh, my undergraduate degree. Did you try to apply and then get it or? Not really. It was just the, the economic reality just, you know, it hits you and you see that like, it's not possible. Not if you get like a, a scholarship because Studying in the U.S. or in Canada, it, it's so expensive that like, if your parents can't afford it, that there's not much you can do except for, you know, earn it from like, getting a scholarship. And that's what I did to come here for my master's degree. So it's a rather complicated uh, story. But let's say that I, I did my undergrad in finance, not because I really loved it. It was because I figured out that having a training in whatever administrative um, science, accounting, uh, management, finance, it was easier to find a job with uh, a degree like this mm -hmm. than, let's say, to, be, to become a, an engineer or something else. So I wanted to keep kind of flexible. Being in finance, yes, it doesn't sound flexible, but there's actually a lot you can do with it. But I ended up working in like finance itself, 
going to the central bank and he where I spent almost four years working. Gotcha. Is that what it's called? The central Bank of Haiti? Yes, so the French name is Bank de la République d'Haïti. Okay. So if I were to translate it, literally it would be Bank of the Republic of Haiti. Okay. Um, so you were kind of like practical and you went into finance because you knew that that was where the opportunities were and you knew like you had to get a scholarship to like study abroad. Um, yeah, but I, I wasn't thinking about that scholarship right away uh, at this time. And then after a few years, I realized that it wasn't probably the right career for me. So I started to think like what would be a good shift, something that's not too you know, brutal or, but I should also mention that besides studying and working in finance, I was also working as a music teacher and performer. And this is a, an even longer story because I started learning music. I started violin when I was very young at age four. Oh, wow. Um, and this is also something else that unites our family is music because my aunt, um, who studied music in the United States back in the day, when she went back to Haiti, she started this music program. And um, like naturally, all the kids in the family, they had to, to start playing an instrument and, 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 and making music. And that's what we, we kept doing and we're still doing now. Um, so uh, I trained until I was 18. Wow, from four to 18. That's a long time. And then when I went to college there, I also started to teach young children, um, you know, music theory and, and violin. And it was also interesting, more rewarding, requires a lot of patience. And But, you know, I, I love doing this. And in my mind, I was trying to think of a way to maybe bring my skills in finance and my love of music together. And this is when I learned about this uh, arts management program. And mm-hmm. I started to research to see what it is about. And it felt like the perfect bridge to this two different aspects of my life. Um, I decided, okay, why not try trying to get a scholarship? And I've been hearing about like, there's different programs, people going to Europe, people going to South America. And then you prior to my application, two friends of mine were accepted. They, they got their Fulbright scholarship. I was like, wait, the, the Fulbright scholarship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So two separate, two different people that I knew, they got it the same year. And I was like, okay, if they can do it, I can yeah, definitely do, do it too. So, like, so the, the, to the, the year after I, I applied and I, I had my little project, um, I, I made a good case for myself. And I went, and then it worked. So that's how I ended up here. Um, and the program was everything I was expecting, and, and even more. more. So yeah, that's that's pretty much how I I, I ended up here. Gotcha. School. I mean that that's fantastic. Let me touch on the Fulbright scholarship for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I don't know too much about the Fulbright. I know really smart people get it, and it's kind of like. Um, tailored to people who are interested in like international development. Am I correct? Not really. Not really. Okay. Not only. Okay. Uh, it, it's you know they have a diversity of fields that they consider. Like I mean, there there might be some 
you know, some trends you might see, like, in Haiti, you will always find a beer, one or two engineers, you know, one or two lawyers, people who are working in education, architecture, you will find those profiles, they are, they come back regularly. But in, in my case, I think, I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure if I'm right, but I think I'm maybe the first uh, food brother from Haiti who came here for an arts management program. Wow. Um, so yeah, they're, I think they are looking for more diverse uh, backgrounds and fields. It's only that people who are applying come from those same backgrounds. So that's why, that's why you probably have this trend of people studying like international development, economy, and these people keep coming back because those people are the ones who apply. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, interesting stuff. And just to touch back, uh, you, you said a couple of minutes ago, uh, you kind of like uh, hinted on the connection between Africa and Haiti. And it's interesting you said that because I was researching, and there's a lot of, you know, connection like historically, right, mm-hmm. of, of how the first settlers in Haiti uh, were, or parts of them were from Africa and other places. Uh, but I was interested, so I'm trying to work on this new podcast with someone, um, which is trying to, like, going to be on fashion. So I'm producing it, and I was just like watching a documentary, and I got to learn about Pepe. And I don't know if I said that correctly, like clothes in Haiti, um, like use Pepe. Oh, Pepe. Pepe. Okay, okay, yes. okay. <laughs> I didn't pronounce it correctly. Yes. So it, it's kind of like uh, this secondary market for like used clothes that people buy. And I was connecting that to where I grew up. I'm like we have that in Nigeria. Like where I come from is called Okrika. Okay. So, so Okrika and Pepe is kind of it's like, the same thing. I I I would assume. Um, yes, like it, it's it's been existing for as long as I can remember. Like since always, and you know, it's because most of the people in Haiti, and, and it, you know, it's something that we have to say. Uh, poverty is a reality in Haiti, and the population is getting poorer and poorer every day, especially today when things are getting worse. So the reality is that people can't afford buying new clothes. And this is the reason why, you know, all these used clothes, and, and, and they might be used, but they put them in a very good condition. Sometimes they look better and they last longer than actual new clothes. And they make it a business to sell them, like, in the streets. Um, to my only thing about this market is there's no way you can really control it and there's no way mm. the, the, the state can actually uh, get tax money from it, you know? And it's too bad because I think it's a large part of the economy. Gotcha. gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a little bit unorganized a little bit, which is kind of like the reality where I come from also. They, they have their type of organization. I don't know how it works, how the networks and how the suppliers and the Oh, this, I, I have no idea. Just notice that it's all in the streets. People buy stuff and more stuff keeps coming. I mean, um, but there, there must be some kind of organization behind it. I just don't know how it works. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and I was just saying that to draw parallels, right, between, like, both country, countries and the continent of Africa and the country of of Haiti and even in language in a bit like we have something called Pigeon English and I know Creole is like really popular in um, Haiti. Um, how popular is Creole compared to French, for instance? Well, 
Creole and French are the two official languages of Haiti. Gotcha. Um, oh, wait, so Creole is actually an official language? It is. It used is. in schools you know, and it, it, okay. It's spoken by, um, well, we're about 11 million people in Haiti right now, and I, I'm, I'm not sure about the, the population that lives um, abroad, but that adds up, and you have some other islands where Creole is spoken. It might sound a little bit different, uh, for instance, in, in Guadeloupe or Martinique. They have their little variations, but it basically is the same. Uh, we understand each other when we speak. Um, Can you speak a few words of Creole? Just basic stuff like, how are you? Um, um, it's good to be here. Let me see if I can connect, like I can understand some phrases. Okay, so, here we go. Bonjour tout le monde, comment vous allez? Moi très bien, j'espère que nous passons bonne journée. I understand très bien. That was in there somewhere. Yes. So, très uh, bien is, um, is it thank you? No? No, no. No, it, it means um, uh, very good. Very good, exactly. Yeah. It's like a response. Very well. Yeah. So, uh, Trebien is is uh, 100% French. Um, so as some people, um, I don't really know how much of the Creole language is, is formed of French word, but I, I would assume like it's more than 90% of the words That's are right. from uh, French. I may be wrong, but this is from my, my feeling. Um, and then there's also a lot of English words and Spanish. Like it's a mix of, of different influences words. that we had all along our history, starting with the Spanish colony, the French colony. And since the French, they occupied the island for most of the time, that would be why it is dominant in the form of Creole we're speaking right now. Okay. And you know, the language is still evolving, new words are appearing, and, and um, few of the, the things that we tried to establish is having like a written formal grammar. Um, in Creole. In Creole, and, mm. it, and, it, and it, has, it has worked very well. Like, we have a Creole Academy uh, wow. since few years, I, I think. And also, people are advocating for all the subjects in school to be taught in Creole. In Creole, wow. As equally as in French. Gotcha. Because the educational system is mostly based in French to this day. And now people are advocating for Creole to have like an equal state in our schools. Gotcha. And I think we will get there eventually. I mean, that that's really interesting because um, one thing I, I like to do uh, when I talk to guests is like to, I like to teach uh, some of my podcast guests a little Pigeon English. So if you listen to previous episodes, and Pigeon English is kind of like Creole, right? Mm -hmm. um, the way it evolved is kind of similar to the way Creole evolved from French and a bunch of other languages. So you kind of like have these variations of English mixed with some local languages and some other languages. But we don't have like a structure to it. And we don't have like anyone advocating it for it to be like part of a curriculum or have like our own structure, and which I think we should have. So it's just interesting to see that this is already going on in another part of the world. And is this something that is recent uh, or, you know, is this something that's been championed by the government itself or just a group of people are just trying to... Um, it's, hard to it's hard to tell. I think it started maybe like since the late 90s or even before that. The, the thing is that with Creole, I think we're trying to claim our own cultural identity. So it's, it's not that we, we don't want French anymore, but it's that speaking French 
has become a mark of, let's say, education. Like you speak French, that shows that you are more educated than the others. And some people, they even try to ban Creole from some schools and, and mm. forbid their children to speak Creole. And that's ev- all the things that are wrong because it is our identity. So I think in reaction to that, some, you know, groups, groups of people, they said, you know what, we have to claim our identity. And it starts with the language. Language. It's amazing you said that. It's exactly the same thing. Like, there's this classism thing, right, back home in Nigeria between English and Pidgin English. Mm. Like, if you speak Pidgin English, even though, like, everyone from the taxi driver to the bank manager understands Pidgin, but it's almost, like, looked down upon that, oh, because you don't understand English or you don't understand it well enough or your vocabulary is not wide, like, Pidgin English. So when I came to the U.S. and, like, I speak Pidgin to people, like, people, like, some people look at me like, dude, we're in the U.S. now, why are you speaking, like, Pidgin? I'm like, dude, this is our thing. But unfortunately, we don't have that structure. Maybe that's something I'll, like, really research on, on how people in Haiti are, like, trying to build a structure around Creole, and maybe that's something we can re- replicate like back home uh, in Nigeria and even parts of West Africa because yeah, I think and, it is important. And you know, it starts with if you want people to speak and, and, and read Creole, it, it, it should start by writing in Creole. And it's all that the, the, our writers and our poets um, took a long time for Creole to find its place in literature. And now it has started to become some, something more and more serious. So this is why I'm, 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 I'm saying that, you know, it might take even one more generation or even two before we get this, um, you know, this balance to have like Creole at the same level uh, than French. Like, you know, Creole is spoken by all Asians. I think it's the probably the only thing that unites us all is this language. So why not give it a proper framework to thrive? Um, yeah, and one of a story that really surprised me in a good way of my little cousins, uh, who is about eight now. Um, she loves to read. Mm. She ever since she 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 learned how to read, she would always have a book to read. And then uh, maybe a couple of years ago, she asked her mom to get her books that are written in Creole because she wanted to learn how to read and to to right and feel and having this kind of demand from a young kid is it's amazing and you know it's unfortunate that in some families some parents would be like no why do why do you want to read and feel that's not for you gotcha. you would actually get some i'm pretty sure some people that would have this kind of response but that wasn't my cousin obviously so she she found a few books in creole and, and, and gave her the kid to read Wow. So starting from popular culture, integrating popular into the literature, literature yes. then integrating. Wow. Okay. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> so, uh, but what, what about English? How did you, is English also spoken on the island or that's something you picked up on your own? Um, English is taught in most schools just because the American influence is so huge in Haiti. You know that uh, most of our diaspora are in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's this geographic proximity. True. Um, then influence with the music we're listening to, the movies we're watching, uh, television. All of this is in English. So when you're that exposed to English, it's hard not to pick, to it, pick up. it up. So, um, and, you know, I, I learned in school all the 
grammar and vocabulary. Like it, it depends on. It's very subjective how far you want to go with your English, especially after you leave school. You just want to keep practicing it or not. Um, in my opinion, it would be fair uh, for all Asians who really want because we we are located like right in the middle of the Caribbean. So not only we have our two languages, if you really want to thrive in this area, you should at least add English and Spanish to your vocabulary. Mm. And I think one of, the, one of the next things that I will do eventually is go back to my Spanish and try to, you know, polish it and, and practice more because uh, by the time I finished high school, I, I had a pretty, pretty good, you know, level speaking and understanding Spanish. But then... I stopped practicing and I lost almost all of it. But now, since I have so many friends from South America, and you know, why not? Why not try to pick it up again and, and have those four languages, you know, and maybe in the future add a fifth one. Sure. I'll have to determine. But I think it's important for young Asians to be open and to be able to communicate with their neighbors. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you talked about the Asian diaspora. I mean, one popular one I know is Wyclef Jean. But that's because, you know, I like music and I listen to hip hop music. So I knew Wyclef as a producer. Um, but and I know he did run for president at one point. He tried, but uh, he tried. They, Was that like they, the primaries or? No, they didn't even accept his candidacy. Because oh, he, wow. I don't think he had all the the requirements. Oh, so he hadn't lived in Haiti? He didn't meet all the requirements to be an actual candidate for presidency. And, you know, it's a thing to be wanting to help. And, but I don't think that being president is the way has to, to be a solution to all of the problems of a country. He, he may have a lot of good intentions, yeah. but, you know, there's a way things are done. And we've, we've had an ex experience with a popular musician being president, and it hasn't been the greatest experience. I think that... Wait, a Haitian musician or someone from the diaspora who came back? No, he was, he was uh, living in Haiti. Gotcha. Um, and also, people from the diaspora, I, there's this debate of whether they should participate in the political life mm. in the island. I don't really know... Um, what are the constraints um, right now? But I think the diaspora definitely has a word to say uh, mm. because they actually contribute to more of 30% of the country's GDP. Gotcha. So when your money is, you know, that important to a country, I think you should be involved you, you, in the process. Yes. But do we have the right framework for it to happen now? I don't know. And there also should be more bridges between the island and the Asian communities here in the United States and elsewhere. Gotcha. Because there can be some kind of disconnect. Really? But I see, I I'm sorry for cutting you short, but I tend That's to like have the sense of that Asians here still are really connected to back home because there are a lot of cultural organizations they, they and are, they go back home a lot and things like that. They, they are. Uh, but I'm thinking of how the news travel. Mm. Um, I know that all the Asian media, they're present on, online, and, and you know you can listen to every radio station you want. But there's a way to interpret the information and the rumors that are circulating um, within the island itself 
and going to the diaspora, those can be very dangerous because people in Haiti tend to not verify the source of an information before passing it on, and that can cause lots of damages. So I say yes. Fake news. They, they, yes, fake news, literally. Um, they need to be involved, and we need to determine the right way to make this possible. So a framework is needed. Yes. And it's interesting you say that because I've been trying so much to talk to someone who is going back home, like right now, like moving back home, right? Because a lot of schools are graduating. A lot of people I want to stay in the U.S. for a few years before they go back. I've been trying to look for someone who is like going back, like literally, like maybe in two weeks mm -hmm. and I like, interview that person before it goes back. Because there's a weird uh, dichotomy between that, like. A lot of people back home, and I don't know if this is the same in Haiti, but where I come from, Nigeria, a lot of people back home, they like tend to resist people who are like coming from the diaspora. Oh, you think you know better than us because you are from the UK or yeah. you are from the US yeah. or you are from Canada. You don't know it all. And the people over here think, or they, they genuinely want to help, but to balance that, um, some people back home consider it as arrogance, but people here consider it as giving back. So I don't know how to balance it. It's where you mentioned framework. Maybe that's what we need to focus on. Maybe yes. there needs to be a structure. It, it, it's a perception thing, and yeah. I and I and I also noticed the exact same thing in Haiti, um, especially after the the huge earthquake that we had uh, nine years ago. We had a wave of young professionals living in the United States and other parts of the world who said. Okay, that's it. My country needs me. I want to be there for, you know, to help reconstruct the, the country and its institutions. And they left everything, job, wow. you know, to move back. Sometimes to come back and to help. But guess what? A couple of years later, it was so hard for them to, you know, to blend and, 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 and society. They were rejected and to, by society. Pretty much. It's yeah. I think I think there's a maybe a mistrust or because mm. you come from you know another country, you think you know better. That's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to interpret it, but yeah, it's a reality, and we have to work with this reality. Some people, you know, they are success. They become successful in their career and their work, but for others who went abroad to study and even lived a few years and worked abroad, when they come back, it's difficult for them to blend in society and, and have a successful career. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, we, we, and hey, man, I think I have a lot to learn from your country and <laughs> I'll be doing like more research uh, after uh, this episode and in the future just to kind of see how I can get to know. And I know you have to, you know, go soon. Uh, I just want to appreciate you for coming. But obviously, the earthquake was really devastating. I think it was one of the more severe earthquakes we've had uh, recently. I think it was like seven or seven point something on richer scale. It yeah, it was seven. Uh, well, well, I think the definitive uh, number we had was 7.0, but first, the first number that we had was 7.3. I'm not sure of the difference wow. between the two, but it was definitely very violent. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I, I was hoping for after such a, a catastrophe is that we learn from it and then we do things better from there on. But... It's, it's, it's sad to say that we haven't learned 
from this. And if it, what, what do you mean learn? In what way? You mean the way it brings society together? or Not only that, I'm talking about like a, in a more sustainable way of, you know, what caused all this, um, you know, all these people to lose their lives. They, we weren't building our homes the right way. So why not start with this? And, you know, establish the regulations. So people are cutting corners and things like that in building. The building methods are still the same than before the earthquake. Well, that, um, that ties into the economic situation, right? Yes, but uh, it's also tied to the, the incapacity of the authorities to say, no, this is not following the regulations. You can't build like this. There's a way and you must follow it. So it's kind of the enforcement, um, you know, the enforcement part of the regulation because the, the, they are here, all the laws, they exist, but it's enforcing them. And this is sad because we are still threatened by earthquakes and hurricanes. And uh, if something else happens, like what happened uh, nine years ago, we might end up, you know, having as much damage or even more. So, you know, enforce the laws and, and, and do their and, you know, it's not just because you have the power, it's because it's for the good of the people. Gotcha. Maybe they don't realize it, but, hey, what does it cost to maybe save a little more to build better gotcha. than to build something that is not going to last and might end up killing you? Gotcha. So it's complicated because, obviously, the economic situation is, is, is at a point where it's, you know, people are trying just to survive, but I like to see things on the, in the long term rather than just living one day after the other. Gotcha. We need to have a plan, and it, it, it can be, like, something that's individual, you know, in, a, in your, like, individual mindset, plan for tomorrow, even if you know you're living in a difficult environment, um, and try to make your life better. Gotcha. I have a feeling I recommend you watch uh, a, a series called The Society on Netflix. I started it last week. Oh, my God. So amazing. Yeah. Exactly what you were saying. You know, a bunch of high school kids. Everyone was just, like, living free. But when they saw that it was affecting the ecosystem, then, you know, a bunch of people had to come out and say, hey, we have to establish some kind of order to make sure that, you know, if everyone does, does what they want, eventually society will crumble. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some kind of order. But that balance between, you know, marrying uh, what people can do and how you should come in and regulate things is, you know, it's all about structure. Wow, I was uh, really glad speaking to you. Are there any countries uh, you want to, like, visit or... Oh, so many. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm ready to travel around the world. Okay. Like, um, obviously, I'd love to visit Europe. I've never been to Europe before. So I hope uh, maybe very soon I'll get to to go and visit a few countries there. Um, what countries in uh, particularly or uh, specifically? Spain, Italy, of course, mm. French. Well, hopefully yeah. I get to interview someone from Italy uh, on this podcast. I've been talking yeah. with Francesca, but maybe really soon. Uh, and then also I'm, I'm very uh, attracted by Central America and, and South America. Uh, I, I think I, I would really love to visit Costa Rica mm. uh, just because... They're ahead and so many, um, you know, and, and so many different things, talking about green energy and, and all these things. And it's also a very beautiful 
tropical country, I would like to, you know, go and see what's going on out there. Um, Brazil, Argentina, all these countries really talking to me. So I really hope that in the coming years, I'll be able to visit a few of them. Gotcha, gotcha. And hey, um, thank you so much uh, for coming and speaking to us. Uh, uh, hopefully you had a good time. Uh, it was very informative to, uh, for yeah, me. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a real pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm glad I did this uh, before I leave uh, D.C., uh, um, thank you for having me and to your listeners. I hope you're doing great. Yeah, and did you want to like, I don't know if you're interested in like dropping your social media handles, maybe uh, if someone has a question or wants to com- uh, continue the conversation, one of the um, aspects. Uh, that's of something course, you, want to uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook or Instagram just by um, searching Jonathan Peroden. Uh, I will spell Peroden for you, P-E-R-O-D-I-N. So you will find me on Facebook and Instagram uh, looking for this thing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Okay, guys, it's been the Culture Class Podcast. Please follow us on social media. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. And send us an email at cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much and good day.